the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. The elections are, let's see, what is today? Wednesday. So they're six days away. Hard to believe, isn't it? The the congressional elections of 2022 are six days away. I will be voting today because I like to vote on Election Day. I really do. I, I... it, it is a ritual that enhances an American's life. Standing in line with other people, you don't know how they vote. They may not know how you vote. In my case, there's fifty-fifty 50-50 chance <laughs> that they'll know how I vote. But, of course, it doesn't matter. It, it's a beautiful ritual that has been, of course, destroyed by uh, the left in ending the concept even of election day and the usual panic uh, is being spread when is Juan Williams coming on is is that the definite for today yeah I'm trying to confirm it but it's supposed to be a third hour supposed to be on the third hour so Juan Williams who's a liberal and wrote two columns that I found very disturbing, and he seems like a very nice man. So a caller called, this is an interesting development on my show, a caller called the day that I devoted the first hour, so it would have been Monday, uh, to his column. Today is Wednesday, right? So he, he called and said, well, why don't, you, why don't you have him on and debate him? And I said something to the effect, well, they just don't come on folks on the left we've invited many but turns out i was wrong in the case of Juan williams and i i'm happy to announce i was wrong he has said he will come on there was another column uh, about the subject that i keep reading about in in the new york times christian nationalism so you sent me this this other column the one two weeks ago so i live and work among christians why have I never heard, never heard once? You figure I, I would have heard just about anything. I speak in so many churches. I know so many pastors. So many Christians call the show. How come no Christian nationalists ever ever call the show? I would, I would take the call. I don't even know what it means. Do you know what it means? What does Christian nationalism mean? Everybody seems to know except us. Everybody knows except us. Yes, that's right. Wow. So here's both. The GOP is embracing Christian nationalism. By the way, call me if you are a Christian who has embraced Christian nationalism or if you're a Christian who never heard the term until the left started using it. 
Or if you are even a non-Christian and you have evidence for Christian nationalism in, in America. But the, the article doesn't tell us anything about it. It just speaks. There, there's not a, one shred of evidence in the article. And I'll, I'll raise this with, with Mr. Williams. Here, there's a line here. Let's not forget that while Trump was president, there was a spike in racial violence, including violence against Jews. But they haven't been committed by Christians. They're committed overwhelmingly by blacks in the in in uh, in major urban centers. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. And I, I, obviously, I'll say this to him. Oh, and of course, the uh, very fine people on both sides. But but there is no, not a shred of evidence for Christian nationalism. Oh, God. The evidence is piling up that former President Trump, the leading candidate for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination, is also the leader of a white Christian nationalist movement. Last week, he actively packaged anti-Semitism for Republicans. So you... Did you read this? You know what the evidence is? Yeah. America's, quote, wonderful evangelicals are far more appreciative, unquote, of him than, quote, the people of the Jewish faith, especially those living in the U.S., he wrote on social media before going on to praise Israeli Jews. Why, why is that anti-Semitic? I would say the exact same thing. I don't understand why my fellow Jews were not appreciative of Donald Trump. Israeli Jews are. So what is he? He's anti-Semitic in America, but not in Israel. He hates American Jews, but not Israeli Jews. So stay tuned because I will be asking Juan Williams these questions. He boasted no president has done more for Israel than I have. Why, but why is that Christian nationalism? It's just a political fact. It's a moral fact. A man named Ron Wood, uh, what's the word, tweeted, 14 reasons to homeschool your child. People ask me all the time, what can, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? My my biggest suggestion, if I could have one dream take place, a realistic dream, okay? I mean, I would like a dream that everybody on the left woke up and did penitence. But I'm talking about a realistic dream. A, a realistic dream would be that millions upon millions of American parents took their kids out of school and homeschooled them. So many parents know about what is how their how, how the school is hurting their child, and may really damage their child. And they don't even know if they'd be damaging their child because so many school districts have rules not to tell parents if your if your ten year old daughter says she's a boy or ten year old boy says he's a girl, they won't tell you. They will refer to the boy as a girl, give, a, give him a girl's name, etc. But they won't tell you. So you figure, well, the odds are it won't happen. That's correct. The odds are it won't happen. 
but it's quite remarkable that people would would take that risk. Reason number one, your family reclaims first place, not second, not third, first. Family is the single most important influence on a child's life and offers unrivaled support, security, encouragement, and affection that is clothed in unconditional love. Okay, I'm not an unconditional love fan, but it doesn't matter. Two, you can prioritize your children. Homeschool prioritizes children by giving them an education and a childhood built around their unique interests, talents, passions, and dreams. Public education is built for the collective, not the individual. Significant difference. Three, you can liberate your children. Homeschool frees children so they can pursue genuine knowledge and happiness in their educational journey. It naturally cultivates creativity, virtue, critical thinking, and individuality. It's beautiful. That's been my experience meeting kids who were homeschooled. Four, you can prioritize virtue. I'm a big one on that. Cultivating virtue is crucial for sound moral development in children. Sound moral development is crucial to human life and human flourishing. Children need more than good fortune and training in core subjects. They need their character developed. You've met the homeschool kids. Isn't that what you noticed? You notice it in, in a minute. They're both happier and more serious. And they're polite. And they're innocent. I wonder if he, if he is including innocence. Five, you can avoid government overreach. Homeschool enables parents to reclaim education from the government. Filter it through the lens of truth, beauty, and goodness. And give it back to their children. Parents are fully qualified to raise, educate, their children. Resources abound. That is correct. The biggest issue, I think, is to end the fear of parents that they won't be able to do it. I can't teach math. I, Dennis, can't teach math. So there are so many resources available now. They, they, they don't homeschool alone with, their, with other homeschooled kids. And as regards... The, the financial aspect, I will address that when we return. I'd like to put this tweet up at uh, the, the uh, website. We return in a moment. The Dennis Prager Show. History repeats itself, and we're seeing that play out with inflation. When Jimmy Carter took office in the late 70s, gold sold for $140 an ounce. By 1980, the price of gold topped out at $870 an ounce. If today's market performs like it did when Carter was in office, the price of gold could skyrocket from $1,800 an ounce to $9,300 an ounce. This is Dennis Prager for AmFed Coin and Bullion. Don't miss out on a great opportunity to purchase precious metals while the prices are still stable. If history repeats itself, we'll see a run on gold, silver, and platinum that will certainly drive up prices. Be smart and buy now, as I am. At AmFed, you're dealing with specialists who provide you with personalized attention, honest information, and sound advice. You'll never be pressured into buying outrageously priced so-called collectible coins or anything that you don't need. Take advantage of today's prices. AmFed Coin and Bullion, 800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com. Whenever I'm done. Call on you, my friend. 
And I'm Dennis Prager, hopefully honest, competent, and friendly as well. Oh, I hit a good thing here with the Christian nationalism. So I'm going to take some calls on that. Louisville, Kentucky, and Mike. Hello, Mike. Hello, Dennis. Um, very interesting conversation today. And I've wondered this myself. I, uh, I served as deputy director of Kentucky Right to Life for 19 years full-time. I also hosted a local Catholic Christian radio show, which would be considered, quote-unquote, conservative for about 10 years, two days a week. I've run into a lot of Christians in my life here in Kentucky, and I can't identify a single one that even uses the term or knows the term Christian nationalism. But I'll go a step further. I still don't know what QAnon is. I don't even know how to spell it. You know, I feel I like I, I got it. I want to give you, I think, I hope you take it as a compliment. I feel like I'm talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have it, said it, that so often. So has my producer. We immerse ourselves in the internet. I've never been to QAnon. I don't, if I were tortured, I could not tell you what it is. I like Christian it. nationalism. And the thing is, you know, I know the left is good at lying, but now it's starting to they're they're so good at lying they don't even know a lie from reality anymore. They're, they're, they're they have no way to detect. They don't have a radar. That's right. Of that's a that very, true that's right. Untrue. So it just spills out. Nobody knows what QAnon is. Nobody knows what. I mean, here you are in Kentucky. Kentucky's in the Bible Belt. You're a Christian radio talk show host, and you never heard the term. And you can't. Can you? Can you define Christian nationalism? I have no idea right. what it means. All I right. know is most Christians that I talk to, they just want the government off their back and the secular the, storage right. of sewage out of their homes. That's all I know. I'm with you, and I want the same thing. And for the record, I'm Jewish. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, I think this is a really powerful example of where the left lives in a make-believe world. It does, and look, they, they believe men give birth is a make-believe world. Christian nationalism is an example. I would say the New York Times, how often would you say that they publish a Christian nationalism piece? Every month? Oh, yeah. yeah at, least. at least every month? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then I read it, and I look for evidence, and I don't see any. There's no evidence in Juan Williams' piece. President Trump said that Jews in America should be more grateful to, for what he did to them, for them. Why, why, is that, why is that Christian nationalism? Why is it even anti-Semitic? Why is it wrong? Blacks should also. Is, it, is, that, is it racist to say that blacks should have been more grateful to Donald Trump? If the, the Democrats are always telling blacks to be grateful to them, the Democrats... That's their whole appeal. Whoa, man, just amazing stuff. It's very important that you uh, that you hear about this. Is that another caller in Louisville? Oh, I hit the Kentucky button today. Hello, Scott. Dennis, uh, good good day to you. Um, a, a moment of forbearance. I I spoke with you. Uh, about 15 years ago, and I started the call by uh, acknowledging, you know, how much uh, I appreciate you as an important, consistent, and rational voice. 
in an ever-maddening world. And I, I just feel compelled to say that 15 years later, uh, that level of an appreciation is only amplified over time. So thank you. I was worried. I, <laughs> I was actually thinking, <laughs> you know, 15 years later, I've really come to rethink that call. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what was coming. Anyway, I'm, I'm delighted. Thank you, sir. Um, so, in one way, look, this is another linguistic head fake, uh, which is a favorite uh, methodology now of the American left. And what I mean by that is it's this deal where they either create or commandeer some term that calmly viewed, we would apply a different definition, but they construct from the ground up their own meaning and then affix it to that term. So here's the dirty little secret about Christian nationalism. On one level, any of us that are believers, on one level, we're all Christian nationalists. I would even carry it a step further. I'd say we're all Christian globalists because there's absolutely embedded in our belief the hope that as time progresses, the Christian ethic and the what we view as the work of a risen Christ overtakes the world. Exactly. We, we all right. All well, yeah. Exactly. I'm just going to uh, say thank you because of the time factor. But that's not Christian nationalism, of course. I mean, he, we both agree on that. But yes, yeah, in that sense, if that, that a Christian hopes that the world becomes Christian, why, why is that a problem? I hope the world becomes ethical monotheist. I hope the world embraces the Ten Commandments. Am I a Ten Commandments nationalist? That's what I am. Hey, have a good name. I'm a Ten Commandments nationalist. I like it. You know my uh, my uh, my good meme, folks. You want to defund the police? There is a way. Have everybody live by the Ten Commandments. You can then defund the police. <laughs> anyway, Scott, I look forward to hearing from you 15 years from now. Let's see. Yeah, it's, it's it's very it's it's very possible. Ah, there we go. And we have a claim that it actually exists. What's our timing there? All right, I have half a minute, so I'm going to take that, and then I'm going to continue. I have so much, as usual. Today's Wednesday, so we have the male-female hour coming up next. But there's a lot to cover here. So if you have a, a relative or friend that you can talk politics with who is on the left, ask them if they believe that Christian nationalism is a threat to the country, what their evidence is, and have they ever met one. You all have helped build my pillow into the incredible company it is today, and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. On top of the special available to my listeners on the Percale and Giza Dream bed sheets, marked down as low as $29.98, Mike is now changing the game with his three piece towel set. 
This set is made with USA cotton, making it extremely absorbent, yet still providing the soft feel you look for in a towel. This set comes with one bath, one hand towel, and one washcloth, typically retailing for $49.99. For a limited time, you can get this three-piece towel set for the low price of $19.98 with the promo code Prager. Don't miss out on these extraordinary offers. There's a limited supply, so be sure to order now. 800-761-6302. Use the promo code Prager or go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener square and use the promo code Prager. Well, everybody, I'm Dennis Prager. Before I go on, I cannot, cannot, cannot let this fo- the following thing go unreported because I leveled a very intense attack on libertarian candidates who are ruining the country by staying in the race and taking votes in close races from Republicans. There is not a chance of a snowball in hell that they'll win or come close but there is a very good chance that they will knock out the alternative to the left. So let me give you good news. An an admirable case of a libertarian exactly doing what is morally necessary and stopping his candidacy. And that is in in Arizona. There's a... uh, a very close race between the left-wing Mark Kelly and the Trump-endorsed Blake Masters. I'm reading from American Greatness. Mark Victor's libertarian spot on the ticket was going to hurt Masters, so Victor withdrew and endorsed Masters. Mark Victor, the libertarian Senate candidate in Arizona, is neither arrogant nor egotistical. Instead, he is a clear-eyed patriot who looked at the numbers and made a hard call. He dropped out of the race and endorsed his Republican opponent, Blake Masters. Masters is in a close race to unseat incumbent Democrat Senator Mark Kelly. Mark Victor, you are a wonderful human being in doing that. Every libertarian in it where there is a close race is morally duty-bound if they love this country and know the threat that the left poses to do the same thing. Okay, now hold, hold on. Oh, we, we have people who know such things. Let's see. Peter in Philadelphia, hello. Hey, Dennis. Um in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, there was a rally October 21st and 22nd. 10,000 people attended, and the organizers said it was a Christian nationalist rally. Eric Trump was there, Roger Stone was there, Michael Flynn was there. And uh, according to the news reports, I didn't go, but the Protocols of the Elders of Zion was being sold um, by the people who were selling stuff. And, okay. I don't know any. I don't know any I'm going to look that's, into that's it. Just the news that I heard. Right. I I, I am definitely going to look into it because that's that's a hard one to believe. Uh, but in, if it's true, I will report it. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion is the most famous anti-Semitic forgery ever written. It was actually found on the Tsar's night table, nightstand, 
when uh, he was uh, overthrown in the Russian Revolution. He, uh, he believed in it. Again, it's about the elders of Zion, some Jewish cabal that plots to take over the world. In my book on anti-Semitism, Why the Jews, which is uh, in its third edition, it was published first in the 1970s. I co-wrote it with Rabbi Joseph Telushkin. It's called Why the Jews. So I make the point, in this case, I'm not saying we, because it's, it's a point that I had where he, we, he writes his part, I write my part, then we edit each other's work. That's how we did it in the two books that we co-wrote. Anyway, I came up with this idea a very, very long time ago that anti-Semites believe the Jews are chosen. That's, there's an irony there. Chosenness, the, the sense that the Jews are special. I mean, the Jews are, are, are a fraction of a percentage of the world's population and people believe they're plotting to take over the world, how come the Jews do such a lousy job at it? They get killed periodically, massively slaughtered. Boy, I tell you, for a group that's trying to take over the world, they might as well give up. Oh, I mean, but it, it, it's, it, it's a fascinating thing that people who hate Jews actually believe that. I missed the most recent meeting, by the way. You too? Yeah. The Fed is unstable. Interest rates could go up at any moment. If you're relocating and need to buy a new home or invest in real estate, get fully underwritten and approved with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian at Sierra Pacific Mortgage before you make an offer. Their fast-track approval process will allow you to compete with cash offers, whether you're buying today, tomorrow, or a year from now. Even though housing prices are stabilizing or coming down, economic uncertainty, supply chain issues, and limited construction means the real estate market is limited and competitive. Go to andrewandtodd.com. That's andrewandtodd.com right now. Get fully approved today and have confidence so that when you're ready to buy, you'll have the money ready to go. Don't wait. Go to andrewandtodd.com. Lock in today's still historically low rates. Go to andrewandtodd.com. That's andrewandtodd.com. I'm old-fashioned. I like two sexes. And another thing, all of a sudden I don't like being married to what is known as a new woman. I want a wife, not a competitor. Competitor, competitor. Talk about a bit, this crying in the morning thing, this depression, you know, let's get that fixed. That's what men think, isn't it? What? Unless you've got the answer, unless you can say, oh, I know this bloke in the Essex Road who could fix that, then there's no point bothering. How do you write women so well? I think of a man, and I take away reason and accountability. I love him. I love him. And I don't care what you think. I love him for the for the man he wants to be, and I love him for the man that he almost is. What do people have rows about him? Uh, money, sex. Sex, money. He wants, she doesn't want. She wants, he doesn't want. Women have always been 
a big problem to me, Dr. Fussbend. Are you listening, Doctor? Yes, yes, yes. Go on, go on. Ah, uh, what, what a great, what is the word? Not melange. What is the word? Montage, yes, montage. They're both French words. It's interesting. What a great montage. After all these years, I'm still not tired of it. I'm Dennis Prager. This is the Male Female Hour, second hour of the show every Wednesday. Why Wednesday? Because it's the day of wed. And I'm pro-wedding. All right, y'all. I got a topic for you. Let's it's both fun and serious. What renders a guy an immediate turnoff? <laughs> is, that a, is that a good way of phrasing it? <laughs> so I'll tell you how this came up. It came up earlier in the week when I was emoting about a man I saw driving into work who was walking alone. No one, literally no one else was walking within visible distance of him. And he was wearing a mask. So this was outdoors and he was alone. And I thought if I were a woman, that would be an immediate turnoff. So that's my question, 1-8-Prager-776, 877 Want to give me the 877 jingle? You got it there? Is it? Uh, he doesn't know what title. You don't have it. That's fine because Sean's not in. Sean's recuperating from too much of the Dennis Prager show. It finally, it finally, it finally got to him. He'll be back tomorrow. However, tomorrow I'll be in Denmark. <laughs> there still will be a show. But there still will be a show. That's exa- and a great show. I have terrific people who sit in for me. This is the longest of the year, four days. Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday. I'll be back in order to talk about the elections. But I, I will be speaking in Denmark at the Parliament Building and I will, of course, give you a report on that. So what is an immediate turnoff? I have another reason for raising the question. My co-host on the Dennis and Julie podcast, which if you just watch one or listen to one, you will be hooked to, you'll want to binge listen to all of them. Every week, Dennis and Julie goes up v- visually on YouTube and otherwise anywhere you pick up uh, podcasts, including the Salem. What is it? The Salem Podcast Network? Right. Dennis and Julie. So Julie is 23. You just turned 23. And she was showing me pictures that men put up on singles sites to presumably attract women. And 
I have to say, it sort of made the case for women opting out of the search for men. Of course, I'm being dark and cute. I don't want that search to ever end if you're a single woman. But I tell you, these guys were children. These guys were boys. The the look, the... The, the childish poses, they were so unserious. But I have to say, maybe I'm dead wrong. Maybe this is the stuff that attracts women. Maybe women want boys and not men. But anyway, it, it's still, this is one of these educational shows, or hours, I should say, where I hear from you, what's an immediate turnoff? And my example was the guy walking alone wearing a mask. If, but I admit, obviously, I am speaking as if I were a woman. By the way, you don't have to be a woman. A guy could be an immediate turnoff to a man, not sexually, just just as as a man. When she showed me these pictures, one guy just flexing his muscles, another guy jumping up in the air. Well, what message does that send to women? Maybe women are not looking to get married. Maybe they're looking for just fun guys. One eight Prager seven seven six eight seven seven two four three triple seven six. An immediate turnoff. I mean, to to be completely honest, another one would be if he doesn't smell good. Women are very very well. I, I, both sexes are turned off by malodorous people. That that would be an obvious candidate. But women uh, in particular, I think men need to hear this. What what disattracts women? I, I'm thinking of the pictures that she showed me. So here's a, here's a tough one. I'm going to raise one. I raised it with the living martyr prior to the hour. And I want to give some caveats here that there are terrific people who do what I'm about to say. I I fully acknowledge that fact. And it may be totally an ad, an admission of the my producer and I being of an older generation. Although I would have had this exact same thought when I was young. Still, that would have been a generation ago. When, when I see these guys in these apps like Hinge, uh, which is very popular, and, and the others, and the guy is posing for the picture with it, and let's say he's 25, 30 years old, and he's wearing a baseball hat backwards. 
am I wrong in thinking that he's conveying a a non fully mature image? Have I put it delicately enough? Here's an here. Or I'll put it to you in a different way. You are a 30-year-old woman, and you are on a dating site. And you're looking at pictures of the men, and two men equally attractive, whatever that would mean to you, one baseball hat forward, one baseball hat backward, would you flip a coin? Would it be irrelevant in your choice? So here's going to really give me away. Would a picture of a guy in a baseball hat at 30 and a guy with no hat at 30, would you flip a coin in that case? My bias is that men convey a sense of of mature adulthood and that for most women not all by any means is more attractive what's an immediate turnoff male female hour there you are there you are hi everybody Dennis Prager here male female hour second hour every Wednesday what's an immediate turnoff to a woman when first uh, encountering a man or seeing a man on a single site on the internet. Uh, it it uh, struck me when I saw a guy walking with a mask and I was thinking, if I were a woman, that would be an, a turn off. A scared man is not is not a turn-on to most women. Although I have to believe that there'd be women who would think, wow, what a responsible guy. Wearing a mask. Almost a, a, a year into or a, non, a non-emergency state of COVID. That's, that's a man I would like to father my children. Maybe maybe that happens. All right, let's see. By the way, a lot of guys are calling in, which is, uh, I don't know if that's what I'm looking for right now, uh, to be uh, perfectly honest. I'm going to try to clear some lines. I may take some men, but I, I really want to hear from women. Uh, if I, I would certainly do the, the opposite, but I think this is more interesting. What and, and men need to know this. We need to know how the other other sex reacts to us. If you're looking to bond with somebody like that. All right, Elizabeth, Columbus, Ohio. Hello. Hi, Dennis. Long time listener, huge fan. Thank you. Great. Um, I I definitely would not find a man wearing a mask um, attractive at all, but. Mostly because, in my mind, like, you have to be educated and you have to 
have done some homework and you have to know something about what you're talking about. And I feel like if you're wearing masks at this point, you, you don't know anything. <laughs> um, so any of those liberal media talking points that they stand behind kind of are a huge turnoff mentally. No matter how good you look, if, if, if what you're doing shows me that you are not paying attention or have done your own homework, I can't continue to are, are you single or married? I am not. I am recently divorced. <clears throat> so so have you gone on any of the single sites? No, I've never been on a single site in my life. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, by the way, I, I think you ought to, uh, just just between us. Uh, you, you sound like you're philosophically opposed to doing so. Yeah, I, I, I generically like to meet men. I'm, I'm currently am dating somebody who I really, really like. Oh, okay. Well, that answers that issue. <laughs> well, all right. Listen, thank you. That's uh, for her, the lack of being informed in and of itself, not, not, not knowing what's going on. You really think you need a mask at this point? Okay, so that that would be uh, her reaction, or one of her reactions. So, of course, if most of my listeners were on the left and I did this, it might be the actual opposite. I wonder how many liberal women, and there are more liberal women than conservative women, I wonder how many liberal women would be attracted to immediately, at least on those grounds, to a man who was walking alone outdoors at this time of the fall of 2022 with a mask on. Would that be a turn on? God, I wish I could do that experiment. But I I, I don't think I can. Uh, let's see. Yeah, okay. Madeline in L.A., men who have dirty hands and nails. I have heard that. I, I have asked this in the past, and I am married to a female. That's, that's a, 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 an important one. It's interesting because it's a turnoff to me about a man. You, you, you don't meet women with dirty hands and dirty fingernails. Men who are adamant about personal hygiene uh, are doing themselves and the world a favor. So I'm going to clear that line, and I thank Madeline for that. That is a good example. Yes. Okay, April in Minneapolis. Hello. Hello, Dennis. Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I live in Minneapolis, and I do a lot of driving day and night. And I can't tell you how many times a day I'll see a man walking by himself with no one around with a mask on. And I just shake my head, and I think to myself, just what you said. It is such a turnoff to me as a woman to see a man running around in his mask. And I think that your idea of an experiment it's such a great one to see if other folks might think it's a turn on because they are being wearing their mask. Yeah. I I don't know how to conduct it. I would I would have to have a 
a mixed audience. Maybe I could do it out of college talk. If you're a woman, raise your hand if seeing a guy walking alone at this time without uh, with a mask on outdoors. Uh, uh, does that if raise your hand if it's a turn on? <laughs> I don't know the answer uh, because by uh, how could a woman not wearing a mask find that appealing? And, I agree with you. Right, and most women are not wearing masks right now. Even e- even women, if it's fair to say even. Well, anyway, I thank you. You're uh, you're obviously a kindred spirit. I appreciate that. Women are attracted to masculinity. Masculinity has been warred upon since the 1960s. And now we even have a term called toxic masculinity, which for feminists is redundant. Masculinity in and of itself is toxic. But most women are still attracted to masculinity. And I think that a man who advertises that he is irrationally frightened is not masculine. We return. The Dennis Prager Show. Dennis Prager here, male-female hour. What is an immediate turnoff if you're a woman? What is an immediate turnoff in a man? And I I had uh, my own suggestion, which is what raised the topic originally, seeing a man... Walking alone in the street yesterday, wearing a mask. Uh, that struck me as, unless there are reasons that I, I I can't even I cannot even make up. I I can't imagine any reason that would persuade me that it was a valid thing for him to do. So my assumption would be, he's a scaredy cat which is not very masculine and therefore not appealing to women. Victoria, Phoenix, Arizona. Hello. Hello. Hi. I'm actually going to say that um, the lack of clothing on a man is not attractive. Just like a woman, uh, men like the mystery or either just like to have it for themselves and not show it off and uh let the whole world see i would say that's the same thing with myself uh i'd like my man to be covered up and not flaunting it everywhere uh, uh i don't know about anybody else but i would have to say that that would be so what 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 would give me an example of something that most people listening would relate to about a man in skimpy clothing would it be a man uh, without a shirt on, uh, walking in the street, would that be an example? It would be like if you see a man going for his morning jog in like a, a very, very short, like thigh high shorts and no shirt. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. That's what I. That's what I was imagining when you said that. That's an interesting. She's thirty four, by the way. That's an interesting observation. 
it's not completely symmetrical, just for the record, because I'm very committed to telling the truth. A, a woman jogging in in a skimpy outfit would not be an immediate turnoff to most men. Men showing off their bodies and women showing off their bodies are not the, do not have the same effect in most cases. That, that's my take, anyway. All right, let's see here. Pat in Newcastle, Delaware. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, a turn-off for me would be, um, first of all, I, um, I'm happily married. I'm 32 years, so this is, you know, I'm not looking. Um, but um, when I hear men uh, with their language peppered with curse words, you know, and I'm not talking about, you know, hitting their thumb with a hammer and saying something, but but every other word. And especially when there's women around or children around, sometimes you'll see a man, uh, you know, curse and then notice a woman and say, oh, excuse me, excuse me, man, I'm sorry about that, you know. But, but sometimes you see men and they're just, their language is just peppered with curse words. And without uh, words. I, I think that's a very valid, uh, very valid observation. Yeah. You know what it shows, among other things? It shows, I think, a lot of things. But among other things, it shows a lack of awareness of one's environment. And that that's not a good sign. So I actually a- agree with you. Kim, Winter Springs, Florida. Hello. Hello, Dennis. So there seems to be a lot of concentration on the face mask thing that i just had a funny experience a few well a couple years ago it was during the lockdown 2020 it's a long backstory but i had been suffering from some chronic illness for quite a while but actually got a diagnosis finally and got some treatment and was feeling great in 2020 when the rest of the planet was <laughs> was in lockdown but so i went on to a couple dating sites which i had never been on before um, now, this was during 2020, but still, there were many profile pictures of men wearing face masks. Okay, that, I want to continue with you. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. A profile picture. I, I, I want to delve into that. All right, everybody, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. So, I have not talked about this, and by the way, we're hoping that uh, Juan Williams will be coming on, so I might interrupt myself uh, should he uh, should he call in. I've invi- We've invited him on, and he, he has agreed to come on, and uh, I have taken issue with his articles in The Hill, and it's a... It's a a delight to be able to uh, to address him directly, and uh, just I, I have no desire to win a debate. I have a desire to clarify for you, listening differences between left and right on various issues. So, if should he call in, uh, I will uh, move immediately. 
uh, to him. So what I'm about to say, I have, I don't think I have spoken about, even though I am sort of preoccupied with it. So I offer this as not a statement of certitude, but a statement of concern. And people who do care about young and middle-aged people dying unnecessarily or, well, very few people die necessarily, so I'll I'll use a different adverb, dying for no discernible reason, usually of something involving the heart. I keep reading about it with for example, extremely healthy athletes and others who just happens to. And I think that if people are honest, they need to investigate whether the vaccine played a role in their premature death. It is almost daily that we read about this somewhere. Here, and here we go. So this is another one. Julie Powell, best-selling author of Julie and Julia, dead at 49. Anyway, wonderful. Juan Williams is on, and let me first say to you, Juan, I I deeply appreciate your saying yes uh, to to coming on. I just want you. My pleasure. How are you? Uh, well, my standard answer for the last few years has been better than my country. Yeah. That's probably an area you and I might agree on, actually. I think we agree pretty strongly. Yeah, I have that sense. So what I do when I have folks that I differ with is I, I don't really engage so much in debate as I do in clarifying where we're different because... I, I have a motto on my show, I prefer clarity to agreement. So l- let me bounce off some things uh, on your last two columns. The GOP is embracing Christian nationalism. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a Jew, and I should be particularly concerned about Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not. And I, I work for a company owned by Christians, run by Christians. I speak in churches regularly. I I have met thousands of Christians. I never met one who spoke about Christian nationalism. And to be honest, I don't even know what it is. And in your piece, you you didn't explain it either. So what do you mean? Well, I mean that there are people like Marjorie Taylor Greene who say that we should be, the United States, constitutionally a Christian nation. In other words, that that should be part of our founding principle in this era. Uh, Clearly, the founding fathers did not think so and said that there is no state religion in this country. And it's allowed us as a country to welcome people of all faith. Now you have people who believe that we should be a Christian country and abide by Christian teachings as part of our uh, policies, yeah, as part of our laws. It's almost like the, what, what do you call the, the Muslims who want to abide by... Sharia. Muslims. Sharia law, yeah, yeah. But there is no such thing as Christian law. 
There is a there is Muslim law. There is Jewish law. There is I don't know what is a Christian law. Give me an example. Ten Commandments. Okay, so that that's fascinating because you, you really uh, you, you really hit a, a very uh, wonderful point actually for me because I if I had to summarize my life's work it, it would be that people actually obey the Ten Commandments. I have a. I have a meme. I said, if you really want to defund the police, there is a way. Have everybody observe the Ten Commandments. Why is that specifically Christian? First, the, it, it, it predates Christianity by 1,200 years. It's biblical, and it's part of the whole notion that there are biblical principles, Christian biblical principles, that would be, would be followed in a Christian nation. Right. So give me an example of one that's specifically Christian and, and that would exclude me as a Jew. I don't know that it would exclude you. You could decide to abide by it. You could say, I live in a Christian nation. That's the law. All right. So, so give I me an example. Okay. Forgetting me well, as a Jew. I, well, I think that, you know, in recent days, there's been so much controversy about abortion rights. You have the evangelicals, the Christian evangelicals, who say that it's a matter of law. I don't know where in the Bible it says you can't have an abortion, but they would say that it's a violation of Christian faith as they understand it. And so their understanding of Christian faith in that way would say to you as a Jew, no to abortion, even though in the Jewish community, I mean, I drive by synagogues in Maryland that say, you know, abortion is a right. They post this outside the synagogue. Right. So let me ask you: Would you be? Would you find it odd if an atheist thought that an abortion that had nothing to do with the mother's health was was immoral? Do you think? Do you think an atheist might come to the same conclusion? Why do you have to be a Christian to think that taking a a third trimester child's life is immoral? I think you're pushing hypotheticals to an extreme. When we talk about abortion, in most cases in this country, we're talking about something that takes place in the first. Okay, so wait, so wait, wait. We may we may have an area where where, uh, we we may we may be able to move on. Would you then, from whatever perspective, secular or religious, would you say that? Aside from instances where the mother's life were involved, you would oppose a third trimester abortion? Because there's no Democrat that I am aware of who, uh, running for office who would say that. Who would, I, I'm so lost in the hypothetical. What are you trying oh, to get at? Third trimester abortion. Would you... Sit, you said it's find, pretty I rare. Line, I find, Dennis, Dennis, I find this whole line of thought basically argumentative to no end. It's like ridiculous. I mean, if that's just not the reality of most abortions in this country. It's not what's debated. Uh, people, in fact, you know, Lindsey Graham tried to say, let's have a 15-week uh, limit. I mean, but that's not it. If this is about people who want to eliminate abortion, Dennis. Right, right. So I don't... I- you can push me on any aspect of this subject that you want, and I'll try to answer you. I'm, I'm, no matter how rare it is, and I think you think it's rarer than, than I do, but it doesn't matter. Are you willing to say that for even in those cases where a mother's 
life is not involved, you are opposed to third trimester or viability. I mean, it, can I get you to say why? Why do you? Why do you not want to answer? I'm not trying to trap you. I want to understand. I'm not trying, Dennis. You are being ridiculous in trying to construct a hypothetical. To it's not a hypothetical. It takes place. It, it is a hypothetical, and it's wacky. Okay. But anyway, let me just tell you because I want you to feel satisfied that you're getting my response and what I genuinely feel. Remember, you're talking to someone who's a father of three. And fortunately, in the last few weeks, a grandfather of five. So I, you couldn't pick someone who's more a family guy than me. But anyway, uh, to answer your question quite directly, I think abortion should always be a matter of a decision between a woman and her doctor and hopefully her family. Okay. All right. That was an answer. We'll be back in a moment. Thank you for staying on. Juan Williams, I'm Dennis Prager. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. And again, my my gratitude to Juan Williams for coming on. We're discussing his last two columns in The Hill. One is about Christian nationalism, a term that I, I've only read about when I read people attacking Christians for certain conservative beliefs. I, I have not encountered the term or the idea among all the Christians that I work. So to summarize, because I always like to do this, one to make sure that I heard you clearly and the audience, you feel that advocacy of the Ten Commandments is a form of, of Christian nationalism. Is that correct? Yes. So in your article, I'm moving on here, you gave another example of Christian nationalism, some of the things that former President Trump has said. For example, you uh, you quote him as saying a few weeks ago, you said he actively packaged anti-Semitism for Republicans. Well, as a Jew, I'm very concerned with anti-Semitism, obviously. Any decent person should be. And you give the example, America's wonderful evangelicals are far more appreciative, unquote, of him than, quote, the people of the Jewish faith, especially those living in the U.S., he wrote on social media before going on to praise Israeli Jews. Why is it anti-Semitic to say that evangelicals are more appreciative of him than American Jews? Isn't that a fact? Uh, It might be a fact, uh, but it's also an effort to divide, to separate people on the basis of faith, uh, and more so than on the basis of their political views. You could have said, you know, there are people who are Democrats who differ with me about my policies. Uh, but what he did was, and almost, you know, it, it's sort of exploitative, a very expedient use of language. He signaled, oh, it's, those American Jews are not good people. That was a horrible thing to do, Dennis. Wait, not being appreciative of him. Wait, we both acknowledge that's a fact. Evangelicals appreciate him more than American Jews do. So his the fact that he is saying the fact is hate is hateful. He he shouldn't note it. Wait, wait, and you the irony is you acknowledge that he said Israeli Jews really like him. What I've never met an anti semite who liked Jews who lived in one country but hated Jews who lived in another. That doesn't constitute anti-Semitism. Boy, you are really reaching to avoid the what's staring you in the face, Dennis. 
he is dividing evangelical Christians from American Jews. And he's trying to shame American Jews by saying, oh, these Israeli Jews like me more, but people who don't like me, therefore people who are the other or the enemy, are these American Jews. And he's saying this to American evangelicals. That was his, I mean, it's not just that, as I cite in the column, he welcomes then someone who is clearly anti-Semitic, Kanye West, saying, let's have dinner, uh, you know, let's, let's, I want to see you. It seems to me so blatant, and yet, I guess for you, it's not in your interest to see what's in your face. What's in my face is that he was the best president that the Jews had since, uh, since Harry Truman, in my opinion. So, wow. so, yeah, yeah, so, so we, we, we differ, uh, and that's fine with me that we differ, but I don't understand why his views constitute anti-Semitism. The guy has Jewish, a Jewish daughter, Jewish son-in-law, and Jewish grandchildren. Do you believe he's anti-Semitic? I believe that he makes divisive and, at times, anti-Semitic statements, such as the one I quoted in the column where he's trying to divide Jewish people who are Americans and full citizens of this country from their fellow Americans. I just said it to you. Right. So, well, well, why, why, wait, well, why isn't what you're writing about Christians who are on the right divisive? You're dividing them from, from good people. You don't think Christian nationalists are good people. Why is this always divisive in, on one end and not on the other end? I don't have a problem with your comments, except that I don't believe there's such a thing as Christian nationalism, but I don't have a problem with your criticizing evangelicals, and I don't have a problem with his criticizing American Jews. Wow. Well, me, why is that a wow? You're allowed to criticize evangelicals, but you're not anti-Christian. Hold on, Dennis. Dennis, you want a guess or you just want to rant? No, no. I, l- I allowed you to speak, and I will continue to allow you to speak. Go ahead. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I think it's very clear that what I'm doing in the column is talking about political differences. And I don't vilify people who have different political views, and I don't somehow associate it with their faith. I find that very divisive and contrary to what I think of as, you know, American ethics, uh, where we are all Americans and we try to work together and we try to come to understand each other. But when you see Trump not only make statements such as the one I quote, but when he endorses someone like uh, the man running for governor on the Republican ticket in Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, and you see that Mastriano's campaign is giving money, you know, to right-wing social media platform that, you know, made anti-Semitic remarks. I mean, to me, it's not only Kanye West. It's not only Mastriano. You just keep going and you, you know... Well, what's the example of Mastriano? Uh, by the way, Kanye West had not made these his anti-Semitic remarks, and I devoted my, my weekly column to attacking his remarks. But he, he only he made them after these Trump comments. So it, it, no, it's, Trump it's, then subsequently invited him to dinner and called him. A- after he made the comments? That, okay, that strikes me as mistaken. Okay, fine. Doesn't make him an anti-Semite. A guy with a Jewish daughter and, and who's so pro-Israel and loved by Israeli Jews doesn't qualify as an anti-Semite. But, but oh, look, there are too many different subjects, and I'm clarifying where we differ. So I just want to say you're allowed to attack evangelical 
uh, evangelical right-wingers, and he's allowed to attack Jewish left-wingers. I just, I, I don't know why both are not legitimate. Because I'm talking about political differences. I'm not identifying... Well, so is he. As, so as is he. Christian Jews. He, no, he, saying, he... Okay, go on, I'm sorry. I'm saying he is divisive, and he is putting a target on Jewish Americans... No, on, 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 on liberal or democratic... Dennis Prager is Jewish and a Trump supporter and not deserving of that kind of treatment. But I'm not getting that kind of treatment. I, I don't, you are. I don't, if you're Jewish, yes. you're being identified as the other to Christian No, okay. Christian evangelicals are not stupid. They know that no, the vast majority of Orthodox Jews agree with them on virtually every single political and social subject. The synagogues you saw that had posters up on, on pro-abortion... Not one of them was an Orthodox synagogue. The difference between an Orthodox, most Orthodox and most non-Orthodox Jews on, on abortion and other social issues are as great as the difference between you and, and, and Republicans. It just, it, it's just a fact. Anyway, I want to continue if it's okay with you. It's very important to people to hear. I'm speaking with Juan Williams, who needs no introductions, best, best known for many things, including his Fox News commentaries. Back in a moment. The Dennis Prager Show. Okay, everybody, final segment uh, with Juan Williams, and I'm really, again, appreciative to you, Juan, for coming on the show. It's and, a pleasure to speak with you. Yes, I thank you. That that means a lot to me because I do believe people can differ civilly, and obviously you do too. So anyway, let me go to a completely different subject since we have just one more, more uh, segment here of something that bothers us conservatives tremendously and which I didn't see you address. I'm not saying that as an accusation. I, I just didn't see you address. And I want you to know how, how much this bothers us. And, and that is the, the many aspects of the premature sexualization of children in, in our schools, giving six-year-olds, for example, opportunities to go to drag queen story hours and telling them that they're not boys and girls because gender is not binary. This uh, undermining of parental authority and uh, premature sexualization of children really bothers all of us, and I'd, I'd like you to address it. Wow, it would bother me too. I don't know what, I mean, I don't think that I don't know who would agree with that. I think that in later grades, I think that it is appropriate to have sex then. In fact, I wish that when I was a young fellow, and you got, you're talking to a 68-year-old here, Dennis, but I think that, you know, to me, that's one of the things that's been absent in our educational system is just basic sex ed, you know. And what we live in today, I think, is a world in which we want to be sure that gay, lesbian people are not viewed as somehow different, unusual. I just think that's wrong. So I don't know about any, I, it's not in my school, the school district that I live in doesn't do that with six-year-olds as you were describing. What is the school district you live in? I live in, I live in the District of Columbia right next to Montgomery County. And so six-year-olds are not exposed to arguments like ones you're describing, but they mm-hmm. do have sex ed classes. Right. 
Uh, I'll tell you what. Let, I'll make a friendly bet with you of $100 to our favorite charity that in your school district the kids are, in fact, told that uh, not called boys and girls in their classroom and told that uh, and probably have a, uh, a drag queen story hour. I would be shocked that if in such a liberal city... You know, I just got to tell you, I was laughed at on Bill Maher's show exactly three years ago this week. I was on his show. It's on YouTube. It went viral. When I said, you guys on the left say men menstruate. And he and every single member of the audience and the panel all laughed at me. And Bill Maher said, who says that? And you're reminding me of Bill Maher. Who's doing that to kids? And to which I can only say, you got to be kidding. You don't know how widespread this is? Well, I think that what you're doing is, again, creating a situation where you would divide us, you know, and it sounds like you and I, by the way, <laughs> agree on so much. But uh, I think what you're saying is there's an extreme situation, Juan, where a six-year-old might be introduced to the idea of gay rights or gay people. No, I'm talking trans. I'm talking only about about sexualization and trans. Okay. Uh, drag queen think, story hour is not about gays. Okay, I think I don't think that a six year old is ready to be sexualized in any way, and I think you and I agree on it. Now, when children get older, especially as they approach puberty, do I think that there should be sex ed in school? Yes. Do I think that children should know that there are gay people or trans people? Yes. And I don't think it's a matter of trying to recruit them or hurt them or or exploit them to say, hey, a fully educated person in our democracy should be aware that there are people who have different sexual orientations. That's not harmful. Right. That wasn't the issue, but I don't have an issue. I don't know what eighth grader in this country does not know that there are gay people. Anyway, the truth is to be, be, okay, to be for the school curriculum to speak to sexual education. Okay. Well, I, okay. The truth is I always oppose sex ed in school. It's the parents. I think it's the parents' job, not the school. But anyway, listen, at the top, all right, we're reaching the end. Juan Williams, I hope we'll do a part two. And again, thank you so much for coming on. Well, I just think it's wonderful that you would have somebody you disagree with on the show, Dennis. Well, yeah, Dennis, I don't want to hurt you with your audience, but I think that you actually are an exemplar of what we should be doing in this country, talking to each other. Thank you. I agree with you. There you go. This was a, and I want to thank the caller who challenged me. Said, "Why don't you have Juan Williams on?" <laughs> yeah, God bless you, sir. Yes, more, the more the better. Clarity over agreement. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon intelligence agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.